Keep your arms, legs, tails, and any other noodly appendages close and cared for. Rumor has it that the Grey Seers are on the hunt for this month's quota of sacrifices. We are the true sound of the Ender Empire, 665.66UHMR, Radio Free Skaven Blight. From the higher-ups, reductions in forces are coming, so clan rats will be fed to the Grey Seers in an attempt to cut payroll. <laughs> Dispatch, Jesus Christ, <laughs> so dark and true. <laughs> Dispatches from the Middenheim Front. Shiv Knifetail, Master Assassin of Clan Eshin, has secured his rights to take down Lord Rislek of the Knights of the White Wolf. Shiv was granted this great honor by the Council of Thirteen after Snitch Fowltongue of Clan Pestilence and Hook Iron Grit of Clan Scree turned up dead. Watch the highlight reel with a squeak tube premium subscription found on specially marked packages of Warpstone Crunch cereal. It'll make your insides glow, yes, yes. Trying not to be too gloomy despite my current lack of other gits, I am your host, Goblin King, joined by my co-host, who comes from a long line of intergalactic dinosaur tamers, the Emerald Isle skink priestess, Emmy. Sup, nerds? The Iron Jaw Bare Knuckle Bruiser and current champion of the Clan Rat Gladiatorial Pits, they're even letting Greenskins fight now. It's Marky. What's up, my mammals? Forever brooding about the lack of black eyeliner, absence of ever-present rain clouds, and his mismatched black-on-black leather outfit, it's Chuckerfly. I tell you what, as long as I can squeeze some uh, warpstone out of a skaven, I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it comes from. You just you reminds squeeze of, uh, it and they pop out. Reminds me hey, of Jack Black. Front or bottom, Thunder wherever it comes from. The, going after the cocaine bat. <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> That's Chuck. And just joining <laughs> and joining us all the way from Nuln, where he was caught trying to pickpocket the wrong storm vermin, it's our very own Imperial Long Gunner, Kev. It's not my fault that they just carry the warpstone in their hands. <laughs> The amount of Warpstone jokes we make makes me think we all need to go to rehab. I'm just, I'm laying it out there. A group hey. clan rat rehab is coming. This is a matter of. They tried to make me go to rehab, and I said, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, that's pretty fucking good. They have, they have more warpstone in rehab, right? That's what, that's what it's, for. <laughs> it's just it's just laying around in piles. Welcome to episode six of Under the Realms of Madness, part two of our faction focus on the Skaven. Last episode, we covered the early history of the Skaven, matching their early lore to everything that we have covered up to date. With our first couple of episodes, we really just focused on prehistory of the Warhammer Fantasy setting and all the stuff that came before any of the like faction focuses we could really delve into. Kind of have to know the world before we talk about factions. Absolutely. From here on out, we're going to switch our focus to covering the factions, taking deep dives into the specific heroes of these settings, and looking deeper into some of the more famous battles. Plus any of those other fun little side topics that need a much deeper dive, like how the magic system works. Our goal still lies in getting all the way through the end times so we can look at how the world that was became the Age of Sigmar. With all that in mind, if you have any feedback or ideas on topics we should look into, make sure to follow us, join us on Discord, or even become a Patreon. 
There is a video version of this podcast that you can get access to right now. You can see our beautiful faces and the images that we pull up during the episode. I really love the like Vogue strike a pose that everybody did when I said faces. We do it every episode. <laughs> you haven't I noticed. Also, I also like when I introduce people and and like like the first couple of times people wave. I'm like, it's audio, man. It's audio. <laughs> Uh, Marky used to get, it's been a while, but I've been going back to some of the old episodes and there's more than once where Marky has been like, Ryan, it's an audio medium. No one knows what you're talking about. And I'm like, I should stop gesturing with my hands for how tall things are. Yes. It's about yay big. (laughs) It's like, it's about this. It's about this big. We also talk about our thoughts on the current state of the game and the new releases that are coming out in some extra Patreon-only content, so you can get to know us a little bit better from the hobby side of the game. So last week, we kind of touched on this, but how are the Tau, the 40k Skaven equivalent? I think we need to revisit this. I really was intrigued by this take. So from a gameplay mechanic standpoint, at least when both armies Well, when the Tau came out as an army, they were one of the first armies in 40k that really focused on gun line only. And Mm -hmm. then they kind of, uh, um, not mitigated, mitigated, modified, modified. That's the opposite of mitigate. They kind of modified their abilities on the battlefield by using large machines with, uh, at this point, not really that big crisis suits and the hammerheads and all of that. And as to where vehicles and like siege stuff had been relatively common in third edition, it had been a little bit more resigned to like rhinos and predators and land raiders and stuff like mm-hmm. that. There hadn't really been like a, like there hadn't been anything that could shoot across the table. And the mm-hmm. Skaven were known in fantasy for shooting across the table. However, it, it goes kind of even deeper. So Jess Goodwin, who is an artist for Games Workshop, started working on this Skaven for Warhammer Fantasy back when he was actually just still a freelancer. They didn't really know what the Skaven were going to look like in Warhammer Fantasy. They turned to this freelancer and he started doing a lot of the initial sketches. So we're talking like late 80s, early 90s. And as he went through the entire process, he started to actually sketch. You know, He became a full-time guy he really helped to develop the way that the skaven look and quite a few of the other things and the way they look if you're not familiar with jess goodwin's art by the name jess goodwin a lot of the super sketchy stuff that doesn't have art in it um, not art a lot of the super sketchy stuff that doesn't have color in it that ends up in like the earlier core rule books third edition fourth edition fifth edition that's kind of his style um and he's done, obviously, he's done fully rendered pieces as well. But if you're really looking for, like, peak Jess Goodwin, it's like the lineup of aliens in the third edition book where they're all sketches um, or, like, the early Skaven sketches in the fantasy Warhammer book. They're really, he's a very good artist. I really like him. Uh, as he had kept going through, he had started to sketch what the rogue traders were encountering in 40K that were essentially space Skaven. In fact... I want to say it is the third edition core rulebook, but it might be the fourth edition core rulebook. There actually are space Skaven in it. There are space vermin in the book. And it's not There's the Hrud at them. all. It's not the Hrud. This is before. Okay. The divorce of the Hrud and the Skaven into two different concepts came with the release of a book called Xenology that was released in fourth slash fifth edition. It was one of the like 
every once in a while, Games Workshop releases these side books that are just fluff or lore. Um, but the big one that we've been using for the Horus Heresy is there's literally this art book that's about 2,000 pages thick mm-hmm. that is just stuffed full of art from everything. And it's one of the first times that a lot of the Horus Heresy stuff was collected and put into one book before the novel started to be released. And then I'm, so I'm, that's how I'm doing some of the research as I'm pouring through that book. But mm-hmm. like uh, Xenology was another one of those books that they just sort of released on the side. It's purely a lore thing. Uh, I want to say it was released. It's probably like 2002, 2003, 2004 release. And that's the first time where the HRUD became something that wasn't space Skaven. And mm-hmm. at that mm-hmm. time, the concept of space Skaven also kind of left the Warhammer 40k universe as we're really big fans of saying here on the show nothing that games workshop has ever said is ever completely retconned and tossed out it's just sort of put on a back shelf and they'll pull it out later and that's Mm -hmm. very much the way they write they don't write to completely retcon their own lore they just take a concept that they had been messing with and they put it on the back burner and they bring it out later Mm -hmm. so anyway to get back he had done a bunch of um rogue trader space skaven and the design element that he had used was very like world war one trench warfare and like mixed with like a Jules Verne style look to their armor and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're really, really cool images. You can find them on, I should probably have thought about it and, and brought them up. Um, but you can find them online. If you just search John Goodwood and space, yeah, skaven. you most definitely should have brought them up because that sounds dope. And this is kind of that, kind of that like look that I'm talking about where you can really see like that Jules Verne. There's a, there's a huge mm-hmm. mix oh, yeah. of different very, elements. Very into steampunk. It. They're like, they're going to um, be real. They'd be world war one steampunk ish. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, more like diesel punk, I guess. I think that's what they call the, what you're talking about, Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's super neat stuff. Uh, it's very, very cool. And definitely, you know, you can see the like concepts that would have become the HUD and like uh, these oh, yeah. are copyrighted. The, the images that I'm bringing up were copyrighted in 1991. So he drew these a long time before this conversation about fourth edition happened. So and that's clearly like a warp block. Giselle. Yeah. Like a space know. version of the warp block Giselle. Yeah. So this big conversation happened around the release of fourth edition and they had decided with the release of fourth edition, what they wanted to do instead of releasing uh, like a big battle set or a big, whatever they wanted to really push a new army. They wanted to bring a new army to, to the game. And as they were sitting around towards the end of third edition, the design team, which involved Jess, it involved Blanche, it involved everybody. You know, Rick Priestley was still involved in running things and all of this at this point, they had, pitched a bunch of different ideas and one of the ideas that they had pitched was the crew mercenaries um, and the crew mercenary the original crew mercenary is in that third edition sketch that i've mentioned a couple of times where it's like a lineup of like the worst xenos in the galaxy or something uh xenos lineup from third edition if you're if you're following along and don't have access would be the place to look i'm seeing whether or not i can't pull up a picture right now it's probably too obscure of a search term since it's bringing up a bunch of anime shit. There we go. It's super tiny, but I think that... No, it's right here. This is it. Oh, I remember that one. So this piece of art, mm-hmm. uh, and it's got the it's got a space skaven in the cor- on the upper corner. It's got a HUD in the lower corner, and there are there's a group mercenary in the picture. 
And they had basically tossed up the crew mercenaries and basically been like, well, let's just, that, that'll be the army. The army will be the crew mercenaries. That had been one of the ideas. The other, another idea had been to expand the Necron line because at this point, the Necron were just a, a series of like, I think 10 models that you could buy. They were all metal mm-hmm. and um, they didn't have a faction. There were just those 10 models. They were just something that you could take. I can't remember how you used to be able to take them, uh, but you used to be able to take them in the game. But the Necron had essentially been just T-800s at that point. There had been no connection to the Satan, what, mm-hmm. what we now know. And of, and, of course, the Necron and the Satan got combined later, I think in 5th edition, and they came out as a new army. But another concept was that they went back to these original sketches that Jess Goodwin did of the Rogue Trader era Space Skaven. And he started to develop that idea a lot more fully. And eventually, one of the things that he had sketched out was a fully armored space skaven. So instead of being like robes and looking kind of like a a fantasy version of this skaven, it looked like a fully mechanized armor-plated rat, essentially. And that was the first concept of what would eventually lead to what we now know as the Tau. So it was essentially doing sketches on the space Skaven that led to this idea for a heavily mechanized robotic army. And that's how we got the Tau. And there's some really great quotes by Jess, as well as some really good pictures of what that entire process looked like in a white dwarf. And I, I own the white dwarf. Um, I just have to dig and take some pictures so I can share them. But that's mm-hmm. just, it's just one of those cool things. You know, the, the connection there is kind of twofold. There's a design connection and then there's a, a like play on tabletop connection. Mm-hmm. No, that's super cool. I think, yeah, there's some elements of Skaven lore that I think have made it into the other factions. But in terms of like empirically who occupies the slot, I think you're right that it is Skaven and Tau. I think the only thing that it's missing is the Tau being ridiculously widespread throughout the galaxy because that's the Mm -hmm. thing with the Skaven is the Skaven have undermined the entire known world in fantasy. And Mm -hmm. if we gave, if you gave the Tau access to the webway, it's done because the underway and the under empire in a lot of ways is the webway is the webway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the Skaven stand apart from chaos. And that's why Comparing the Skaven to the Chaos Demons, who obviously can use the warp and pop up anywhere, is kind of wrong and weird. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's definitely the, like Eldar. The Skaven Harlequin. are kind of like um, Gray Inquisitors. Yeah. Um, or uh, what is it? The Radical Inquisitors. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or where they're like, but like successful, you know, mostly. You said you said Gray Inquisitors, and I immediately thought of the Inquisitors that like are the the Gray Jedi. That used, mm-hmm. yeah. That's what I was thinking. For some reason, that's where my brain went. But yeah. um, but I meant the the radical inquisitors that are like, no, I can use chaos against itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, this isn't exactly that, but they they are like, no, I'm going to take warp stone and it, it. Well, it is chaos energy. They're not worshiping the chaos gods. They're literally just using it to power. Stuff. Well, they worship their own chaos god. Essentially, they they worship another chaos entity. In a lot of ways. Oh, is it? Well, I guess it would be a chaos identity just because that's the way it would it would be. But it's a it's different. It's like um, how uh, the chaos dwarves 
belong to Hashut. Right. Who's another chaos entity. And like you can make just like in Warhammer 40 K, you can make an argument that all miracles and all saints and all whatever are chaos entities in fantasy. You can make the argument that all of the gods are chaos entities. It's just Mm -hmm. whether or not they're chaotic or whether or not they're more stable is, is like, right. If you look at chaos, the warp as being a mix between entities of order and entities of entropy rather than chaos or not chaos. It's probably a little bit easier to like wrap your mind around it, but like Aisha in 40 K is a war is a warp entity. Realistically, it's more the winds of magic though, isn't it? Which is just chaos let loose upon the world. It's just, it's just warp energy let loose. Essentially. That's all the winds of magic are. I always forget fantasy. Do they have the warp? Yes. Like mm-hmm. it is, it is the warp. I thought it was just like planes of chaos kind of existed more. So it, it's still the warp and it still functions pretty much almost exactly the way that the warp works in 40 K. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why certain entities, very powerful entities like Bellacor, for example, Demons. are present in both places. Yeah. In both. Right. But it, it they do treat it. It's like separate but equal in a really weird way. That's the whole. We we really have to talk about the magic system of the Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah, setting at a point. Like the, that's why I was like, because it seems like the the casters in Fantasy get their power rather than pulling it like straight from the warp. They get it from the winds. Yeah. So the winds of magic are essentially warp that has like escaped and impregnated the material realm. Super, super layman's quick, too long, didn't read explanation. The Warhammer fantasy world exists in a part of space where the warp and the material realm are overlapping way more than anywhere else. Mm. And because of that, magic warp has essentially infested everything. And that's why the elves in prehistory spent a bunch of time locking the winds of magic away in the vortex because the more the big whirlpool in, in Warhammer fantasy in their prehistory demons could just take shape whenever they fucking wanted, wherever they wanted to, because the winds of magic were so strong everywhere that mm-hmm. they could just manifest. They didn't need to be anchored or bound to something the way that they have to in 40 K. And the reason that it was like age of strife. Yeah, essentially. And the reason that it doesn't happen anymore is because the winds of magic are really weak everywhere except the poles, essentially. But the poles are literally each pole on the fantasy planet just has a big rift that goes directly into the warp. And the mm-hmm. warp of the easiest way to look at it is it's the same warp of as of 40k. But there is that kind of like idea that it's a different plane. It's a different plane of warp existence than the warp existence of 40 K, which is really confusing. And I, that's just for intellectual prop. My guess is they don't know how to fuse both of them together and do inner intellectual property protection. So that's why they keep them separate. But realistically, mm. the warp is the warp. A lot of hints in age of Sigmar kind of seem to lead to the fact that like, the spheres of existence, the nine or seven spheres of existence in the Warhammer fantasy or in the age of Sigmar world are just floating in the, the 40 K warp somewhere. They can't get to it, but it's there. Mm-hmm. Right. Good question. So last episode, we covered the history of the Skaven from the fall of Tylos, which became their capital of Skaven blight all the way up to the war against and the defeat of Nagash at cripple peak. 
But the great necromancer wasn't the only thing that they had their twitchy noses focused on. Yeah. That's the picture. I need this printed out. I need that. I need That's an art awesome. print of that. I love that. That's really cool. That's so good. That's really 12 cool. 12 members of the council and an empty chair. <laughs> I fucking love it. Yes. The question is, is uh, which one didn't stab the empty chair in the back? Uh, mm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So the War of Eight Peaks, which took place between 701 to 300 years before the coming of Sigmar. Of all the races of the known world, none have suffered or felt more pressure from the Skaven than the dwarves of Karaz Ankor. Well before the Skaven clashed with the Gash, they had launched successful invasions against the Dawi. With, the, with their access to the Dwarven Underways, which basically acts like a massive subterranean highway system connecting almost all of the Dwarven Holds in the World Edge Mountains, the Skavens had been able to maximize the element of surprise in all of these raids. The Dwarves found themselves increasingly caught between the green-skinned marauders assaulting them on the surface and the Skaven that boiled up from their deepest of mines. And once a deeper mine or chunk of the old underway was overrun, the Skaven would infest the area, building their own strongholds and ramshackle settlements. On top of this, the Skaven could use the Underways' very large and robust structures in their own right to move large armies quickly and completely out of sight of any traffic on the surface. While not all of the Underway had been forgotten, it's important to point out that the Dwarves, for all of their knowledge and record-keeping, had misplaced or forgotten huge stretches of it in the years after the War of the Beard, also known as the War of Vengeance, depending on if you're an elf or a Dwarf. The Skaven also capitalized on the Time of Woes, launching even more attacks on the dwarves who were recovering from the one-two punch of those events, the war and then the time. While the dwarves had been forced to give up settlements and minor strongholds to the Ratmen, none in their right mind would ever imagine losing the stronghold of Karak Eight Peaks, as it was the second strongest stronghold in Karak Ankor. When the Skaven did begin to send scouts and raiding parties toward the stronghold, they found stiff resistance as the dwarves had already begun to mobilize their army for just such a threat. Mines and underground tunnels were lined with booby traps and iron breaker regiments held in patrolled choke points, places where the Skaven's tactics of overwhelming a foe with their numbers wouldn't work. However, the Skaven were mobilized and on the attack. Those who did manage to break their way past the Iron Breakers found themselves facing lines of dwarven marksmen and artillery, paying in blood for every inch of ground they took. Every turn in the tunnels leading to Karak Eight Peaks seemed to be filled with another defensive hold. Met with such strong defense, they pulled back, and the Skaven clans turned to the Council of Thirteen to find a way to guarantee complete control over this dwarven kingdom. The plan took ten generations to formulate. The first step involved convincing the local surface orc tribes to stop fighting each other long enough to assault the dwarves on the surface. The second step saw the Skaven poisoning the dwarven sewers and water supply with unrefined warpstone. And although it took months, eventually the dwarves who had survived the skirmishes against the orcs grew weak and sick. Then the pack masters of Clan Mulder unleashed hordes of giant rats against critical dwarven positions to sow chaos and disrupt their war efforts. One of the things that I've noticed with doing all of the research on the Skaven is that there are several times where they point to like plans taking decades or generations or whatever. And I'm pretty sure that the Skaven on the council 
aren't dying and being replaced. And and in it one case later on, there is a Skaven hero in really big air quotes because it's hard to quantify a Skaven as a hero, but there's a Skaven hero who is alive 400 years later and still the master of a portion of clan resources, which makes me think that the Skaven may not naturally die. Like what, huh. what is a generation or with just the right amount of warp stone? That's true. Oh, do you think the clan rats like just kind of live a very normal short lifespan? I think the clan mm-hmm. rats live a very short, violent life. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody of means, because their lives aren't violent and full of fighting, I think they live essentially mm-hmm. indeterminate. Long enough. To- yeah. Until, until <laughs> yeah. they're, I think Skaven aren't, I want, I don't want to say immortal. Because I think Skaven are really easy to kill, but I think that if a Skaven isn't killed, it doesn't die. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess they don't age naturally. Yeah, yes. what, what, what's the gestation period for making them? Not long oh, at all. I mean, they're incredibly fast to breed, yeah. but they die so easily. That's what I'm that saying. It's what's, like what's, what's a generation's goldfish? Length? It's it's like goldfish. Yeah, goldfish can live for fucking ever if you just if you treat them put them right. in a tank and. And you then just feed them and don't mess with them. So we'll get into their biology and physiology and life cycle in detail next episode, but they, they mm-hmm. gestate very but, uh, quickly. So that's the other thing for the council to plan for 10 generations may have only been like 10 years. Oh, wow. Because however, okay. yeah. Oh yeah. The, the things that you were just saying though, also make me think back on the gene stealer thing that I mm-hmm. had mentioned in the last episode, you, you were saying Tao, but I feel a little more on the gene stealer but gene I see stealer, where you're coming from, from the gun lines and stuff. Gene Stealer uh, might be a little bit more concise, too. Like, if all the Gene Stealer cults were connected. Mm-hmm. What, right. It, it had, like, a grand council. And who's to say that they might not? Right. You know? Right. Like, what's to say that all the patriarchs can't connect psychically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or that'll be, that could be an evolution that comes in, you know, later and things like that. Right. That would be scary. A council of patriarchs guiding all the cults. <laughs> right. I think they're both pretty viable. Uh, I think I, I do like Ryan's uh, reason behind it on the oh, tabletop the, version of it. Mm-hmm. But the GSC yeah. had a lot of uh, parallels, I feel, just like you were saying, Kev. It, it's it's a conceptual relationship more than a like a artistic lineage because there's a mm-hmm. design concept between the two. There, there's a shared design concept history between the two of them. It's really easy to make like it's really easy to start with your answer and make your your <laughs> your evidence and work your way to Skaven. Absolutely, but, but realistically, yeah. the only true connection between Skaven and Tau are the fact that Jess Goodwin was working on Space Skaven, and that sketch process is what led to the Tau. It naturally yeah. evolved yeah. into something completely different. I was going to say, even with the GSC, it's very like surface level. Like it's yeah, hey, they're both it's, in sewers. They both <laughs> mutate. They both try to take. They're both like very uh, uh, backstabby political like. Mm-hmm. Not not yeah. blunt force object, you know. It's uh, plans take generations. Right, They're exactly. Cast based system mm-hmm. where the you know the different generations are they look different and they're treated different. You know, like right. But, but then, it, but you're right. It's it, not. It's not gene stealers. They don't yeah, kidnap people not, to infect them, which is like a core concept of gene stealers. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say that's why it's like it's more surface level because like once you start really getting into it, it's uh, I was I lost my thought. Uh, gene stealer cult more like uh was the one defining thing I was going to say. God damn it. 
they they, the they live stealing. amongst like the humans in 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 that sort of way. Oh yeah, not not they so much in. like hiding back and uh, striking when it's you know when it's the most opportune time for them. <clears throat> Where gene stealers, yeah. they just pretty much hide in the shadows the entire time till that one right. point where they're taking over or right. they're found. And then yeah. oh that was the that was the one. Uh Gene Steel Cult are very uh is it zealot like where Zealous they're, yeah. they're just yeah, they're just gonna go in and fight to the last man where right. they're not like right. the Skaven where they're super uh like their their cowardice is is it knows no bounds, right? Where yeah. Yeah. that is not the case with Gene Steeler Cult, right? They're gonna keep fighting as much as they can. Yep. Because Papa told him to. <laughs> yep. However, it would be the weapons of Clan Skyre that would change the outcome of the war. Warp fire throwers, extremely portable and powerful weapons capable of melting through the Gromrel reinforced gates, also made short work of the dwarven shield walls. While the Dowie began to give ground, they still held seeking to slay as many of the Skaven as they could. It would be the newest weapon of Clan Skyre's Warplock engineers, the Poison Wind Globe, that finally broke the dwarves. The gases they released were extremely lethal to all that breathed it, completely bypassing dwarven armor and even overcoming their staunch constitutions. These weapons were also indiscriminate, killing warrior and artisan alike, tearing through what was left of the population. After well over a century of war, the last few hundred surviving dwarves fled, and the once glorious kingdom of Karak Eight Peaks fell to the vermin hordes. With the fall of one of their greatest strongholds, the dwarves realized the Skaven were unlike any other enemy. While the forces of Chaos and the Greenskins would push forward in great cataclysmic attacks, once the wave of these enemies had receded, the dwarves could rebuild and reclaim. The Skaven were an ever-present, numberless, without mercy or pity, like an ever-rising floodwater. After the fall of Karak Eight Peaks, there had been major attacks on all the great dwarven strongholds, even Karaza Karak, the capital, being affected. Its lowest levels having to be sealed and rune-warded, ever guarded and protected, as the Dowie know what lurks below. Since the fall of Karak Eight Peaks, the back and forth of Skaven and Dwarf attack and counterattack had evolved. The dwarves developing tactics in which they choose to fight in their grand halls, baiting the Skaven to attack miles-long shield walls. While the Skaven learned to bring just more siege engines of Clan Skyre to counter these large open space battles, and so the clan grew in importance. Their troops and weird weaponry becoming more and more common on the, on the fields of battle they committed to. The Skaven had come right at the right time, further eroding the Dwarven kingdoms as they started to slide into decline. Karak Izil was plundered by the Ratmen, its empty halls left to orcs. The mines of Grim Duraz and the Grey Mountains were taken by Clan Morbidus, and Mount Silversphere fell to a double invasion, greenskins swarming from above, even as Skaven boiled up from the depths. Yeah, the Skaven definitely are one of the things that led to the decline of the dwarves, or at least the early decline of the dwarves. Mm -hmm. I mean, between nonstop fighting, some dwarves go do Hashut stuff, mm -hmm. and then a bunch of other dwarves be attacked by orcs and then basically you got orcs from above and 
below as they get into the under underways. Yeah. And then you got Skaven from below. And that came right on the heels of the orcs and, and not the orcs, the dwarves and the elves almost of, wiping each other. Of the out. dwarves and the exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If that hadn't happened, then they would be they would have been in an, an okay place to hold off, you know, the both threats, but they're already decimated pretty hard. Yeah. And that's what the Skaven the Skaven are incredibly opportunistic. They they'll move in and take over any space that they're allowed into. That's just sort of what they do. I don't know how much Total War you've played, but goddamn, the Skaven play just like that. Oh yeah. Every time I'm I'm doing something and I I have like an opening and I'm like, man, this would be a really ta- bad time for a bunch of Skaven to come pouring over that, that mountain then they range. Come pouring like, over literally it, yeah. within three turns later, I've got an army of Skaven pouring over that mountain range, declaring war and burning everything. And I'm like, man, I fucking called it. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the Warp Fire Thrower is nasty. If you ever played Vermintide, the Warp Fire Throwers are nasty. The Rattling Cannons oh, yeah. are nasty. Like, everything. All, all, the, all the siege equipment that they can bring is nasty and so much of it is single rat portable like yeah it's the <laughs> the amount of man portable like heavy weapons they have is pretty gnarly yeah. the only faction in fantasy or in total warhammer that can out gun line like just on the scale like yeah the imperials can do it pretty good the dwarves can do it pretty good but the dwarves are still a shield line yeah it's a shield line backed by a gun line it's a hybrid the Imperials are the same way. It's a it's a pike line back. It's pike and shot. It's pike back by shot, back by siege. It's the vampire counts, the literal zombie pirate gunnery mob. Yeah, <laughs> and but and they're the only ones who can outgun line them because they don't really have melee units. They're they're the my my tau analogy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. They they don't have melee units. Everything is some kind of of guy with a gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely that's, the that's the vampire counts in Total War. It's not vampire counts. It's vampire coast. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's interesting. It's um. So what it is is actually since as we've been going over, it's kind of interesting. So we know who Nagash is, and we know that that Nagash is zombie magic fucked up a bunch of things Big caveat before you get too deep into the vampire coast stuff the warhammer total war video game series is considered canon but it is also considered just like blood bowl it's alternate to be a pocket universe it's a universe of it's it's the (laughs) dimensional split where the end of the world didn't happen where archeon didn't fucking erase everything exactly yeah. Well, it it takes place right before the end times. They've uh, with Warhammer with Warhammer Total War three. They passed timeline events that happened in the end times. Oh, did they? Yeah, okay. They the original did. one. Uh, that's how. That's like the big end game crisis is Archeon invading is Total Warhammer one. Yeah, that's how that that so that's how the end but, the um, end time the end of that invasion <laughs> is the planet exploding in Age of Sigmar. So right. yeah. <laughs> the, the next um, two games take place after. <laughs> right. And that's where it deviated. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but what I was going to say is, so we know who Nagash is and we know his zombie magic fucked up a bunch of things. And then we also know that there's the Von Karsteins doing stuff in Sylvania. Well, one of those Von Karsteins is like, man, this vampire politics is bullshit. I'm going to be a pirate. 
Nice. <laughs> Actually, nice. A, a couple of them did that. And so they went off and are pirates. Got you. <laughs> that, that long story short, pirate zombies cool. are made by pirate vampires. I like it. And the vampire they, they to pirate just sail pipeline. Around. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this, um, this explains in... the early 2000s. <laughs> this uh, pirates this of the Caribbean to blade. <laughs> connecting, connecting things. The maw, the other side of the maw is the maelstrom. The maelstrom is essentially the eye of terror. And one of these pirate fleet captains is essentially Abaddon. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a bunch of, yeah. Because he literally then, lives at the bottom of the maelstrom, at the bottom of the whirlpool in the in the middle of the ocean, and he sits there and he builds up a fleet, and every now and then he leaves the whirlpool to go fuck everybody up and then go home. And the, the maelstrom <laughs> the maelstrom and the vortex are different. The vortex is actually an Ulf one. It's a northern Ulf one. Right. Yeah, that one, that's the one that the elves made to suck all the winds of magic yeah. in to, to keep the world stable-ish. And theoretically, doesn't that Fair run out similar. eventually? Yeah, that we're, we're getting there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so speaking of <laughs> getting teasers. there, the first Skaven civil war, which took place between 17 and 600 of the Imperial calendar. So just as a reminder, up to this point, we've been covering lore that happened before the coming of Sigmar. The Imperial calendar or IC refers to dates after the year of Sigmar's coronation. For many years, the Under Empire had remained united, largely through the strength of the Council of Thirteen and their armies. However, in the year 17 IC, rumors began to rise that far to the west, a new power was growing in the Under Empire. In a time forgotten during the Great Migration from Skavenblight, a clan had sworn themselves against the Council and then disappeared. Whatever had happened, or who this clan was, had been completely forgotten. All that remained was their promise to return. This clan had moved deep into the dry deserts of Araby, and then beneath it discovered a massive intercontinental tunnel system. A tunnel system that stretched beneath the great ocean and made its way to the jungle continent of Lustria. In that long-forgotten and far-off continent, the clan had come boiling up beneath a great temple city in the central jungles. Claiming the city for the horned rat and killing the lizardmen armies that attempted to reclaim it. But it wouldn't be wars against the Lizardmen that would prove the downfall of the clan. For the dire swamps of Lestria began to share its diseases and plagues among the verminous horde, killing them from the inside. With only a few hundred left, these Skaven begged their lord and savior, the great horned rat, to deliver them, and they were rewarded with feverish dreams and visions. To rededicate themselves to the horned rat, they would need to scour the Lestrian jungles for victims to be sacrificed forever attempting to appease the Horned One's hunger. If they worshipped the very disease which was striking them down, they would be born again. From this darkest of desperations, the diseased Skaven of Clan Pestilens was forged and so began the rise of Sotek. This took place 1,337 years before the crowning of Sigmar, and don't worry, when we cover the Lizardmen, we will talk about their side of this lore. We will get a lot deeper into the rise of Sotek because the rise of Sotek is a Lizardman Lustria thing. Yes. Following their rebirth, Clan Pestilence grew strong, moving farther and farther afield to plunder the ancient archives of ruined cities for forgotten and forbidden knowledge, even as they sought out more and more sacrifices to their vile god. They eventually became too large of a threat to ignore, and the other temple cities of the Lizardmen mobilized to end the Skaven threat once and for all. Battle after battle saw the 
clan pestilence pushed back to the ruined city of Kuzta. Kesta? There's no Q in it. Ketza. That makes sense. The ruined city of Ketza. Queso. Queso. (laughs) Surrounded by the armies of the lizard men who are ready to rid the world of them forever. Pushed into a corner, the plague lords of Clan Pestilens were forced to flee the continent. This is some really, really good stuff. I'm excited that we're going to do the Rise of Sotek. And the lizard men side of this is bonkers. So oh, yeah. get excited. And they'll, and they'll be a little Skaven, just like we kind of flavored a little bit of lizard here. There'll be, there'll be mentions of Skaven there. Mm-hmm. I love <laughs> I love the fact that it's a forgotten clan that became disgusting. I like how in this situation, the rats are the conquistadors and the rats they brought over with them on the ship. Yeah. Right. And and they're the ones that got plague infected. Mm-hmm. Right. Rather yep. than the indigenous population. Well, we don't Reversed know. Reversed by the jungle. The, the indigenous <laughs> population may have fucking died too. <laughs> yeah. The well, lizard men yeah. survived, but the people of Lustria, the humans of Lustria, probably didn't fare too well. No. Weren't there uh, Amazons down there that got wrecked? Yeah, there, there's a Amazon tribe. And there's some Imperial colonies, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Imperial colonies are a little bit later because this is still pre Right. Most this is of the story is pre Empire. Yep. Yeah. The pestilent host spent a decade fighting its way toward the shoreline where they built a great fleet of rotting ships. Ships which took them back across the great ocean to the jungles of the Southlands. Once settled, Clan Pestilence reestablished itself, building strongholds and new lairs gathering their forces for a confrontation with their northern kin. When emissaries of the clan arrived in Skavenblight, they demanded to reclaim their their rightful place in the Under-Empire. Lord Nurglitch would be given a seat on the Council of Thirteen, as the Great Horned Rat had promised. Outraged by this transgression, the Council killed the emissaries and threw their rotting corpses in the outskirts of the Great City as examples of their dominance. With the gloves off, Clan Pestilence responded, with their long plan for counterattack, unleashing biological warfare on the Skaven holds of the Southlands. One of the last to stand against them was Clan Merkit, but Clan Pestilence unleashed foul cauldrons of warpstone and putrescence within Merkrit's stronghold, a move which killed the entire clan in a matter of hours. Only Lord Merkit and his retinue of honor guard have been said to have escaped this fate. With the loss of this southern clan, the council responded by amassing several armies of clan rats, supported by warlock engineers of Clan Skyre, to push back against Clan Pestilence. But it was too late, for after the fall of Merkit, the other southern clans had changed their allegiance to the Plague Lords. With the armies now bolstered by these new recruits, Clan Pestilence took the war to the Under Empire in a direct assault. This conflict steadily grew into a civil war, the Council's unstable and incompetent reaction to Clan Pestilence, leading to financial, military, and political issues for the Under-Empire. Other clans rebelled against them, some siding with Pestilence, while others sought out their own selfish ends in furthering the war. It was during these opening years of the Civil War that the Council received another piece of devastating news— Clan Rakek had been all but wiped out and Cripple Peak had fallen. At first, assuming that Clan Pestilence was behind this as well, the council was given even worse news. Nagash had returned to reclaim it. While Nagash wasn't as powerful as he once had been, the council decided that with the mines all but stripped of warpstone, 
with richer sources in other places and the pressure of the Civil War, it wasn't worth another war against Nagash, and they withdrew for the most part. Yeah, little spies, always. <laughs> always there, just in case. So one of the things about the foul cauldrons of Warpstone and Putrescence that they use to kill Merkit's stronghold, there is a like relic weapon of Clan Pestilence that's essentially chunks of those original cauldrons. And they throw mm. them into new cauldrons and they drag them into other war zones. It, they're the cauldrons that like they cook up. There's a big cauldron that they use to cook up their biggest plagues, essentially, like the Black Plague and the Red Pox, which we'll talk about later. Um, and like it's li- like it's just it's foul what they do. It's disgusting. It's it's very is, Nurgle. <laughs> is there a clan that isn't super? sneaky like almost like a corn clan pestilence pestilence would be the one that's not sneaky uh well there is Conniving. a there is a martial clan um that the storm vermin come from mm-hmm. but the the storm vermin and the plague monks are the like ridiculous frontline fighters of the skaven world yeah the plague months are very much nurgle space marines are very much yeah. death guard space marines they just keep coming at you that they're incredibly difficult to kill the storm vermin are highly skilled, tight formations, fight with tactics. Iron warriors. <laughs> yeah. The cool thing but they is they're like a berserker. They, I mean, the plague monks are kind of like the berserkers, also. Rat ogres are kind of berserkers because they're not really intelligent. They just yeah. kind of unleash them in a direction and they murder everything in front of them. Do they have like a leader, like a, a main leader that is like more? aggressive i guess is what i'm trying to say not so much a unit but not really so that the skaven mindset is that a good leader leads from behind just in general across the board no one is they're always manipulating stuff from behind there's a couple of like weird standouts snitch uh queek head takers pretty yeah frontline but he still assassinates like he'll hide in the shadows in the middle of a giant chaotic battlefield. And then he'll jump out and stab the enemy general and there's and be like, I have one. <laughs> <laughs> there's a Skaven that worked with Thanquil, And I want to say his name is snitch worm tongue or, yeah. s- or something along those lines. And at one point he gets stuck on the outside of a Dwarven dirigible that's flying over the chaos wastes. And because he's stuck on the outside with no protection, he just slowly gets exposed to more and more and more warp, warp stone. And he turns into a pretty massive, pretty devastating rat ogre, but he's retained all of the intelligence from when he was just a normal cunning Skaven. Yeah. Um, and he, it was like slow. he leads his, uh, he was like lame, but the warp stone fixed the lame. He was smart, but like, weak and lame like like lame mm. as in one of his legs didn't quite work uh, right. but the warp stone unfucked all of that shit and he becomes one of the few like lead from the front like barrel into dwarves and just tearing them apart and his storm vermin behind him are like wait do we attack now too he's attacking maybe we should attack yeah. but they're kind of far and few between is the best way to put it the storm vermin being the exception the storm vermin are the ones that like kind of fight front line yeah the reason i ask is because for some reason the whole like it's very i mean I, i'll put it like this i don't like stealth games like i, I i'm the 
I'm the go yeah. in and like, oh, I got caught. Fuck it. So I'm going to start blasting. Like, that's kind of the, mm-hmm. like, I- I'll try it at first. You know, I'll try to be stealthy and I'll be like, yeah, this is boring. It sucks. And that's kind of how, so far, how I'm seeing this cave. And not saying it's just for me. It's boring for me, not for anyone else. If you guys like this stuff, no, no fucking shade. On the I'm just table, saying. On the like, tabletop, there isn't really a way to be <clears throat> sneaky in Warhammer yeah, Fantasy. Of course. Of course. So. I mean, on the tabletop, it's pretty much you put your heavy guns behind your clan rats and you run your clan rats. It's it's 100% chaos space marines. Run all your cultists. Well, and on the tabletop, how it used to be, too, was the pestilence uh, troops, the plague monks. They were one of the toughest units in the game. They had T4, which was amazing. And they had, like, armor. just, like, a regular unit. Yeah, they were they were well, they're, um, they're, they're they rats were just and robes, basically. Yeah, the rats and robes yeah. are disgusting, and it's like they were hard to fight, hard to kill. It took like tons of stuff to to weed through them. Plus, they push like a giant yeah. bell, which gives them buffs. <laughs> yeah, the clan pestilence is definitely the clan that is the most direct. Like they do not give a fuck. We're coming for you. Yep. Yeah. They're they're um, very direct about their intentions. Yeah, it's just something. The I'm not a big fan of the aesthetic. I'm not a big smelly fan. It's just that's just me. Um, My favorite I like the warp stone aesthetic. Hold on, and that's hold on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, clan clan skyer skyery clan. Mm-hmm. What, what, what happened, Chuck? I, I, I um, guess we're gonna like have a conversation. Boys, we're gonna have to have a conversation about this later. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lady so clan, here. I don't want to upset people. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Marky needs to wear more, more deodorant. No, I mean, <laughs> um, Clan Skyry, Sky, eh, Clan Skyer. I don't know why I keep trying to say Skyry. Clan Skyer are the ones that make all of the like. They're like the warp luck Giselles. So they've got the snipers. They've got the mortars. They've got the warp fire throwers and the rattling cannons. Mm-hmm. They're probably the second most direct because like. All of their power comes in their crazy weapons, and there's really no hiding behind a Gatling cannon. I mean, by the virtue of a Gatling cannon, you have to like be behind it to operate it. But like the Gatling cannon has to be in front of your troops, or it's going to tear through your troops. So they're probably the second most uh, up (laughs) there. Yes, yes, as is designed. (laughs) But um, Clan Eshin, (laughs) who we're about to talk about pretty quickly, they are one hundred percent ninjas like they're they went they went far to the east to nippon which is essentially japan and mm-hmm. they learned all of the arts of the napanese and then they came oh. back with those arts that's pretty cool that so they're, cool. they're the they're the deep assassins they're the they're 100 percent the like the ninjas ninja rats. yeah ninja this rats. is very much a an army i feel like i love the tabletop aspect of it the lore is dry for me. It, it's very politically intriguing. There's a lot yeah. of like trying to get a seat at the table. Exactly. It's very game. They're very Game of Thronesy. Yeah, mm. exactly. And that that doesn't tickle my fancy. But <laughs> but they look cool as fuck. So I'm willing to look past all of the 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 political. Oh, that's fucking cool. And here's a glowy nine dollars. So here's a glowy one that Chuck is painting. <laughs> glowy paint job. My Mr. Fat, fat Rat. Fat Rat for uh, so glowy. Oh. 
And when, He's a chunky boy. So we're talking about a lot of the like biological warfare and like stuff yeah. that the Skaven do to each other. But this civil war was a civil war. This was like rats tearing each other's throats out with their teeth level civil war. Yeah. There were battles in this where like they were up in each other's shit. And again, like they'll use their teeth to tear the other dude's throat out. They are nasty when cornered. They're, they're raccoons. They're really nasty when cornered. <laughs> But yeah, there's no possums. But there's no uh, dwarven slayer version of the Skaven. Yeah, yeah. The Civil War ground into a stalemate over the next four centuries, claiming thousands, if not millions, of Skaven lives. Many of the clans either switching sides to whoever had the upper hand or simply placing their allegiance with the highest bidder. The Council of Thirteen held the North, and the Plague Lords held the South. And for years, the council tried to and failed again and again to dispatch this treacherous clan and wash their paws of it. But clan pestilence use of biological warfare proved too strong to overcome most military actions. Perhaps through a twisted blessing of the horned rat, a solution eventually came from the east. Just as clan pestilence ancestors had once migrated from Skaven Blight far to the west, another clan had migrated far to the east, also becoming isolated and cut off from the Under Empire. Their skills, not that of biological war and plague, but a more silent and directly lethal nature. The Skaven Civil War deadlock was broken by the return of the assassin adepts of Clan Eshin. I believe I mentioned last episode that a Clan Eshin assassin had delivered the fell blade to al Khedizar, the king mm-hmm. that assassinated Nagash at Nagashazar. Just as a correction to that, that was just an assassin of the council as master assassins of Clan Eshin actually hadn't returned yet. Um, it's confusing because they use they all use assassins, but Clan Eshin assassins are the best. Upon their return, the black-clad assassins of Clan Eshin pledged themselves to the council, bringing with them many gifts, including the heads of chieftains, warlords, and plague lords that had dared to go against the holy dominance of the council to begin with. The council wasted little time in putting the skills of Clan Eshin to use, assassinating warlords and powerful leaders to further erode Clan Pestilence war efforts. This caused opinions of the clan to sour, and losing allies and other advantages they had held, eventually the Plague Lords requested a parley with the council and a cease to the fighting. The council begrudgingly agreed, and Lord Nurgulich made his way to the capital of Skaven Blight to abase himself at the great temple of the horned rat, placing the resources of his entire clan at the disposal of the council. During his travels, and even when he was in Skavenblight, Lord Nurgulich had managed to survive several assassination attempts, as many of those on the council and within the northern clans wanted him dead for the devastating civil war he had brought upon the Under Empire. And even as he abased himself, several of the council called for his head, but he had anticipated this and revealed a vial he had stashed on his person. He told them it was yellow skull fever, one of the clan's most virulent diseases, and with any attempt on his life, he would release the contagion right there in the center of Skaven Blight. Swallowing their pride, this council decided to welcome him as a long-lost brother, and Archplague Lord Nurgulich earned himself a place on the Council of Thirteen through a trial by combat where he killed Lord Vask with a poisonous bite, and with that, Clan Pestilence secured their place in the Under Empire. Conflicts... Rasputin ass, dude. I believe you mean Rat-sputin? Rat-sputin. <laughs> uh-huh. 
<laughs> Conflicts like this are one of the many reasons that it's easy for the surface races and the races of men specifically to forget or easily deny that the Skaven are real. They would mm. just vanish. And in this case, it was for almost 600 years. This war happened almost entirely underground. So, like, they would vanish, they would fight their own wars, and no one would see them for hundreds of years. And it becomes really easy to deny something exists when it's not around. Mm -hmm. they, they, they just fought each other for hundreds of years underground. Nobody knew anything. Yep. Just fought each other. They just fought. Uh, they, yeah. People were like, ah, escape. Because, I mean, that's, that's what, six generations, seven generations of humans? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, that's, I don't know how many generations of elves, like a half generation, I guess. I don't know. Elves live like, what, like a thousand years or something like that? I think they're about a thousand years in Warhammer Fantasy. How mm -hmm. long do dwarves live? A couple hundred. long lifespans? A couple yeah, hundred? Yeah, like five, okay. I think four or five hundred years. I think Gotrick mentions in one of the Gotrick and Felix novels that somebody that he knows or has fought with has been fighting for like 600 years. So they're yeah, pretty so long like, lived too. To, to just put it in that perspective, like just humans alone, like seven generations of humans, never not seeing a Skaven, that's it's almost it's like huge. not seeing a space marine. That's ridiculous. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, they, yeah. they cease to exist. There's yeah. no reason to think that they're around if they're gone for that long. Like, they careful, become, the rat man will get you. Yeah, they become exactly. a fancy That's tale. exactly what it is. Yeah. But imagine that's how mind-blowing that first contact with the rat yeah. people would be after those several hundred years. Especially yeah, when no you kidding. like... Especially when your name is like Potbelly and, and you've been and you've been set down into the basement to get another keg of ale yep. by, by the barkeep. And as you get down there, there's a fucking rat with like a dagger standing in the corner going, you didn't see me. And you're like, I, of course I didn't fucking see you. Can I take this keg upstairs? I'm taking this. I'm not going to talk about this. We're good. We're cool. I'm gone. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. If, <laughs> if, I, if I don't go back upstairs. They're going to wonder what happened. <laughs> so I'm out. Like the, what is it? The penguins from Madagascar. You didn't see it. Yes. Exactly. Like, as the dude That's wore exactly. his brown pants, he's just like, oh my God. <laughs> right. 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 It's like what happens when you take too much Benadryl. You see the rat people. <laughs> Skaven. Skaven or what happens when you take Ambien and don't go to sleep when you're supposed to. Is that what you're. <laughs> exactly. Another never, quaalude and she'll love me in the morning. It's never, okay. Never take <laughs> Ambien and chase it with, with no dose or you might find yourself staring and having a conversation with the Lord, with a chaos Lord of Decay. Oh, uh, my God. All right. Let's talk about the Great Skaven Wars from 600 to 1111 IC. With their great civil war over and two of the great clans having returned to the fold, the council took back control of the Under Empire, and over the next few centuries, the Skaven's armies once again grew. With Clan Pestilence might plagues and the master assassins of Clan Eshin now at their disposal, the council deemed it was time to invade the surface world. In the winter of 1111 IC, the council put their plans into action using both Clan Eshin and Clan Pestilence specialties. Small bands of Skaven assassins infiltrated many Imperial cities before unleashing a wave of bioengineered diseases. These strikes happened almost simultaneously, ensuring the Empire had little time to react in the provincial capitals of Nuln, Altdorf, and Talabheim. Centers of trade where the plagues had a greater chance to spread, and with the delayed reaction, quarantines were ineffective. It fell to small towns and villages to bar their gates from any refugees. 
the only major city that escaped the worst of these plagues was the imperial city of Middenheim, as the city went into a full quarantine lockdown as if besieged. Whole villages were lost and the dead began to outnumber the living, the empire was dying a slow death. Under such conditions, the people lost hope and bands of vigilantes became a... Flagell... Flagellants. Okay, it was like somewhere between flagellant the- and vigilante, and I just had to- so a flat a flagellant. flagellant. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not it's not flatulence. It's flagellants. oh, like flagellants, like the sisters unit. The they're they're the people. Dude. Yeah, so back in the Black Plague of our actual world, there were people that believed that the Black Death was a punishment from God. So they would wander around in city squares, whipping themselves with cats of nine tails as Jesus had been whipped when he carried the cross. And there they were known as flagellants because they were flaying their backs. Oh, okay, Got Um, it. If you've ever seen Mighty Python and the Holy Grail, the guys chanting in um, in Latin and then smacking themselves in the face. That's them making fun of the concept. Okay. Whole villages were lost, and the dead began to outnumber the living. The empire was dying a slow death. Under such conditions, the people lost hope, and bands of flagellants became a common sight in the few towns and villages left. It wouldn't be until spring, when the plague began to slow, that hope would return. But it wouldn't last long, as the plague had just been the first horrible phase, and the Skaven Wars would soon bring the empire to its knees. As if the coming of spring was a sign, the Skaven vermin hosts emerged from their tunnels all over the Empire, and it wasn't long until huge chunks of the countryside had fallen to the Under-Empire. The Imperial Army was just too weakened to form any lasting or effective resistance. The Skaven would overwhelm any standing army with sheer numbers, descend on them, and eat the dead, even as they devoured crops and livestock. Fortified towns stood little chance against their war machines, and the Imperials were helpless against the tide of rat flesh. Only bastion cities like Nuln, Averheim, and Altdorf managed to hold out through these assaults. The northern reaches of the Empire remained plagued, infested, and reeling. So they would, like, infect them to weaken them, and then attack, like, the weakened forces, essentially? So they basically, that, that they basically released the Black Death. And then they waited a couple of weeks and then attacked. So the one thing that's really interesting about the Skaven is the Skaven have a really, really, really like instinctual ability to perfectly coordinate. Skaven Hmm. do that action movie thing of, all right, gentlemen, sync your watches, but without watches and without talking to each other. So Clan Pestilence made up three batches of the Black Death and sent them to three cities that are pretty far removed from each other. And they were released within minutes of each other because the Skaven just kind of know how to like instinctively coordinate with each other. That's and the crazy. same the bell tolls. Yes, yes. Yeah. Release and, this, the play. <laughs> and the same thing happened at like, like the end of March, so to speak, as the first thaw is happening all of the Skaven attacked the empire that was just devastated by the black plague. And like, just think of the black death in real history. It's the same. A third of the population of the empire died. And then the Skaven attacked. The Skaven reminded me of uh, that guy from grandma's boy guy in the, the, the coat, the leather coat. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know why, but 
Because he kind of looks like a skateboard. I am a robot. Oh my <laughs> god, that fucking yeah, have dude. have a little taste of the plague. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. I mean, it's hard It's hard to argue with you. That's Ladies, pretty funny. He even looks bear. a little... little little ratty. little ratty, yeah. Yeah. No, very, that, very, very much a coward, you know? Yeah, I, 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 I see it, you know? All of those stereotypes that you think of when you think about rats are very much worked into the Skaven, like on purpose. It's very much that like sniveling weaklings that attack when their enemy is on their back foot. And like, that's pretty much what they are. There's exceptions. Of course there's heroes. They've got their own, you know, yeah. big guys, but for like, the most know, part, I love like the rat techno. You'd like it if you had rat ears. If you had rat ears, right? <laughs> I do. I do love how they plan everything out. So, uh, it's oh, yeah, they're really, yeah, that's crazy. really, really good at planning. And my whole thing is that guy in the bottom left. He's got dude, a knife he got in his stabbed. Yeah, neck. he's like, God damn it, dude! It was like ten days away from retirement kind of face. <laughs> it's totally the face he's giving. He's <laughs> like, Are you fucking kidding me? My pension yeah, right? just matured, and <laughs> yeah. this shit happens. <laughs> Six hundred years, and I haven't seen one rat. Here we go. We got the Black Plague and the uh, Rat and, Men. And this motherfucker. <laughs> My kid just turned 18 and moved out of the house, and this is what fucking happens. Yeah. <laughs> Black Plague be upon now you. Now I'll never get to retire. <laughs> the human emperor of the old world, Boris Hohenbach, known as Boris Goldgather, had done almost nothing during the Black Plague, having isolated himself and many of the wealthiest and most beautiful of his followers at his palace outside Koroberg. He was assassinated in 1115 by a Clan Eshin operative, while the Skaven troops tightened their grip and took the palace in the city. With its fall, the Under-Empire held control of most of the Empire in the Old World, only the cities of the Empire managing to close their gates and hold any lasting resistance against the Ratmen. And that would be, Noln is a large enough city to do this, Altdorf is a large enough city to do this, Middenheim is a large enough city to do this. Prague is a large enough city to do this. Like, there's not many cities large enough in the Empire to, like, bar their gates and, like, mm -hmm. be siege-proof. But those it's are the only the, places that All the major that capital out, cities in right? Total War. Pretty much. Yeah. Those are all the ones that survived. As the years dragged on, the Skaven began to drag human slaves to the former towns of Ubersreich? Ubersreich, right. That would be Reich. The former mm -hmm. towns of Ubersreich. Yeah, this is German, yeah. And Pilfdorf. Fildorf, not Pilfdorf? Mm -hmm. Fildorf. No, PF is just an F in German. Ah, okay. Fildorf in the province of Wizenland. Those lucky enough would serve in the farming and planting fields, raising the food needed to keep the Skaven war machine moving. Those unlucky found themselves working in underground mines, never to see the light of day again. With the amount of slaves and plunders being torn from the Empire, the status of Clan Pestilence grew, for it was their bioengineered Black Death which paved the way. As their power and wealth only increased, the Plague Lords moved against and overthrew two other council members, and then filled them with their own. So the Plague Lords hold three of the Lords of Decay's seats on the council. So the Lords of Decay is the honorific given to anybody on the Council of Thirteen. You don't have to be from Clan Pestilence. It's just an honorific given to all of them. The mm. Plague Lords are specifically the Lords of Decay from Clan Pestilence, which is 
Ah, yeah. Okay. It, it, it's using words really close to each other to mean different things, which can throw your brain. For sure. New rumors of hope came to the human population of the empire in 1118, as the Elector Count Mandrid in the city of Middenheim was said to be collecting a great crusader army within the city. Middenheim had held against and eventually defeated the Skaven besieging them, and Mandrid had, was gathering other surviving Elector Counts and their men to his banner. All of the Elector Counts are people who could become the Emperor. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the Black Death, which had been the most powerful weapon, had begun to turn against the Skaven themselves, and their soldiers began to drop like flies. Mandred took advantage of this now-confused and disarrayed Skaven army, who were no longer able to muster their massive, overwhelming odds. The Electar Count's anti-Skaven crusade began to push back the Ratmen in battle after battle. The Skaven tried one last counteroffensive, meeting Mandred's crusade at the Battle of the Howling Hills. Each side was relatively well-matched, and the battle was very well-balanced, until Mandred took the head of the great warlock Vermic of Clan Morse. This shattered whatever courage the vermin horde had had left, and the humans began to slaughter the Skaven armies wholesale. A year or so later, the last vestige of the Skaven army in the Old World was defeated at the battle near Evernheim, and the Great Skaven Wars came to an end. So their own plan backfired. Yep. Yeah. 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 That'll come to bite them again and again. They release. That's That's a repeating theme for them. Mm-hmm. They release plagues to take out a city, and in, invariably, their own troops get just as infected. Because it's mm. just a plague. Like, it doesn't discriminate. I mean, clan pestilence is fine. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're immune to it. They're like, give me that, give me that good, good. <laughs> Which kind of makes you wonder whether or not they had ulterior motives in all of this. Like, were they trying to kill all the Skaven, too? But anyway. Right. If all Skaven <laughs> and all humans are dead by pestilence, then pestilence reigns supreme. It's, yes, it's, yes. it's Ian Malcolm sitting in the back of the car. Man or God, <laughs> God created man. Man created God. Man created or man killed God. Man made dinosaurs. And then the Skaven in the front seat going, and Skaven inherited the earth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Skaven inherited the earth. <laughs> Love the smell of black death in the morning. Right? Mm. Warp fire in the morning. Just as their war effort above ground crumbled, the Under Empire was ravaged by disease and clan wars. The Skaven has also taken so many slaves and prisoners that the council freed the, feared the chances of a massive slave revolt. They decided the Skaven would rebuild, rally, and then take the Empire on in another set of wars. However, the Lords of Decay were stunned by how happy rapidly the man things recovered and rebuilt under emperor mandred skaven slayer's stern rule over the next 25 years mandred would rebuild towns repair cities and the imperial army would grow strong once again also determined to never see the skaven attack from below the cities again mandred established the sewer watch an organization which patrolled the sewers against any future movements of the ratmen on top of that, all of the slave revolt the council had already feared finally erupted even as further outbreaks of the Black Death tore through the clans. As is the nature of the Skaven, the council fell to infighting and finger-pointing, each member seeking to place the blame on all others. Eventually, the council split the three plague lords against all the other lords of decay. 
Along with all this inner strife, the clans also demanded compensation for the plague which had ravaged their strongholds. With this continued instability, the Skaven withdrew entirely from their efforts within the Empire, their last action of vengeance being to dispatch a single assassin to murder Emperor Mandred as he slept in 1152 IC. In a move that became all too common in later areas of Imperial history, most of Mandred's story would become neglected and all but forgotten. Scholars of the Empire, desperate to deny the existence of the Skaven having turned him into Mandred Ratcatcher, and it is said he was assassinated by a single mutant acting alone, with no mention of the Skaven. And with that, the Skaven mostly fell silent from 1152 until 1786 IC. Yeah, so again, like almost well, over 600 years of the Skaven just not being present. Mm-hmm. before they pop up again. Um, one of the other really interesting things about this little chunk or or parts of what happened in this chunk are uh, with Mandred, or with the establishment of the Sewer Watch, the Sewer Watch still exi- exists up until the end times. Mm-hmm. The Sewer Watch is con- constantly just a thing that exists, which is, inter- like, it was established by this emperor, but nobody knows why, because all of the knowledge of, of it has been specifically erased. They uh, just consider it shit duty, huh? Basically. It literally becomes, like, if you're a criminal trying to, like, work your debt off, you work for the Sewer Watch. Mm. Ouch. <laughs> um, another thing that's interesting is the Skaven were surprised that the humans bounced back and rebuilt as fast as they did. So in 25 years, a human generation... The human world had mostly recovered, and the Skaven were like, wait, they should still be weak, which is just one of those things. The Skaven at this point are mostly used to fighting dwarves and lizard men, both fairly long-lived, slow-maturing races. Take their time, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So the Skaven waiting 25 years to attack again. Yeah, neither do Mm -hmm. lizard men. So taking 25 right. years to recuperate in the underhive seems normal, but then you go back to the surface and you're like, wait, why are all the people back? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I thought we killed them all. <laughs> we tried our asses off. <laughs> we killed so many, and yet there are more manlings. The invasion of Bretonia, 1786 to 1812 IC. With their disastrous defeat at the hands of the Imperials and the aftermath of the Black Death, the Council had developed different approaches with other human nations of the Old World. Even with all of the collateral damage it had caused, the undeniable success of the bioweapons left the Council in a position where they needed those more subtle means to garner as much success as possible. For centuries after the war, the operatives of Clan Eshin worked in the shadows, manipulating and instigating many of the wars which erupted on the surface world such as the evasion of Jafar, the Crusades, and the Wars of Errantree. But while those plots were successful, they didn't grant any lasting victories to the Skaven or turn the fortunes of the Under-Empire like before. And it was with this apparent failure of Clan Eshin that Clan Pestilence once again persuaded the Council to unleash another plague, this time on the nation of Bretonia. Using similar methods, the Red Pox was spread throughout the sewer systems of the city of Bordelais. Bordelos, yeah. Bordello? Maybe, Bordello? Uh, I doubt it looks... I have a feeling we're supposed to say Bordello, but... (laughs) I always... always City of Bordello? Bordello. So it's it's like Bordello, but it's... it's French. 
Yeah, and <laughs> if you go geographically on there, let me double check. I think there's a, a real French town in that region with a similar name. Probably. Mm-hmm. So the city of Bordeaux. Once again, it was massively successful, killing nearly a third of those infected. But Baron Giscard Dupont acted swiftly, ordering uh, the Bordeaux. It's, Bordeaux. It's, it's literally geographically. Bordeaux. Ah, it's it's Bordeaux. Bordeaux is. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, Baron Giscard Dupont acted swiftly, ordering the poor quarter of the city quarantined, and then set the entire thing to the torch, killing innocents as well as well as those infected indiscriminately. While this killed Easy off, there, Inquisitor Crippman. <laughs> right. While this killed off the majority of the infected, it was also a deplorable act that lacked any humanity. But this had just been a test run, and some 25 years later, the Skaven launched a full assault on Bretonia and northern Tilia, both of which were swallowed in a virulent outbreak of the Red Pox. Just as it had been in the Empire many centuries before, the Skaven were extremely successful in opening years of the conflict, and huge chunks of the countryside fell to their control. The cities of Bornier and Guinellis soon fighting for their very survival against an uncountable tide of vermin flesh. Just when it seemed that the Under-Empire would succeed, a combined army led by the Duke of Paravon, Merovec of Mosolon, and the Wood Elves of Ethel Loren arrived to stop the Skaven. This combined force broke the siege of both cities at the Battle of Renmark, and the Skaven armies once again broke and retreated, only to be overrun and massacred by the Bretonian knights. Just like before, the war ended with the Skaven falling to infighting and blame shifting. The Skaven are the Grots. If the Grots in 40k had their own yep. army and their own empire, the Skaven are the Grots. <laughs> They're really smart yeah. and really cunning, but they are way too busy fighting each other. They are the yeah, Grots. I can see that. That's that's a good analogy this, as well. And this is why Marky should like them. Nasty, filthy do, little I, goblins. I, like mm-hmm. I, I like them on the tabletop. I like their aesthetic. I don't mm-hmm. like how they operate exactly. Like, like you know, on the lore scale. But I think they have a lot of really cool units. Yeah, they do. Definitely. They Assassins, ninjas, samurai-like knight dudes. Yeah, yeah these <clears throat> Clan Eshin guys are really growing on me. Yeah, Clan Eshin is pretty cool. Ninja rats. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get into the Second Skaven Civil War. The dates here are 1850 to 2303 IC. Outraged by these two massive defeats, the council members once again split, with those not of Clan Pestilence leveling the blame at the Plague Lords, claiming they had cost the Under-Empire in wealth, power, prestige, and territory. Their demands were simple. They wanted the Plague Lords cast out of the council. What followed was months of blackmail, political maneuvering, threats, bribery, and assassinations, all to force the vote on this matter. When it finally came, the Plague Lords were ready and loudly declared that the true failure had come from the other council members' lack of faith and heresy against the Great Horned Rat. With this single declaration, the clan pestilence once again kick-started a civil war as warlord clans swiftly aligned with one side of another. In the heart of Skaven Blight, the albino storm vermin guards of the Temple of the Horned Rat warred against the plague monks of Clan Pestilence, and anarchy ruled on the streets of the city, each faction grabbing for control of the city. Clan Skyre had long foreseen the return of this conflict to the hands of the heretical plague monks and began their own offensive against Clan Pestilence. 
war machines of the advanced weaponry of the warlock engineers moving to fortify the defenses of the Grand Temple. Ikit Claw, a promising warlock engineer taking command of the forces stationed within this part of Skavenblight and was promoted to chief warlock. Clan Skyre moved to keep Clan Pestilence out of the temple, deploying Warlock Gisele sniper teams on the bell tower itself, and guardian, guarding each entrance with war machines of all kinds. Clan Pestilence was unable to overcome these defenses, and with the status and prestige this granted to Lord Morskitar, Lord Warlock Engineer, he became the ruler of Skaven Blight. He also planned to reestablish the Council of Thirteen, but under his own tyrannical rule. However, the infighting had spread out into the Under-Empire as each clan made move to capitalize on the anarchy. The Under-Empire plunged into another 400 years of brutal civil war with dozens of factions rising and falling as the conflict was marked for its constant shifting of allegiances and loyalty. The most powerful of the great Skaven clans became Grant Clan Mulder, Clan Skyre, and Clan Pestilence, and each gathered minor clans to their causes. Ruling over their own factions and continuing the fighting, much to the amusement of the Horned Rat, Clan Eshin alone remained completely neutral in order to profit from all sides of the infighting, constantly selling their services to the highest bidder. This war allowed Clan Skyre to reestablish their main stronghold within Skavenblight, and their power and resources only grew, building and gathering war machines and infernal mechanisms on a scale never before seen. It was this exploding in new innovations that allowed Chief Warlock Ikit Claw to detect a strange and growing dark mechanical energy in the far north. Dark omens began to spread like wildfire as Morslieb, the Chaos Moon, hung low towards the earth and showers of warpstone meteorites rained from the skies. The largest Chaos army ever seen was gathering for a great slaughter which would engulf the Empire and Kingdoms of Man. Known to only a few in the Under Empire, a great event was steamrolling their way, and only Lord Morskitar was well prepared for the great ritual the Grey Seers were plotting. Yeah, so that's the same Ikit. Ikit Claw, 400 years earlier, helped at the beginning of the Second Skaven Civil War. And towards the end, he's ah. just amassing all of these things. And then he's the one who gazed into one of the new devices that the clan had come up with and saw the like great well of magical dark energy that was just swirling above the chaos wastes. So the Skaven actually knew about Ar Archeon and the coming before it happened. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, Thanquil, That's crazy. Thanquil was up in the North fucking chasing Gotrick and Felix when all of this started. Um, so if you're wondering when the Gotrick and Felix timeline happens and kind of when the beginning of Archeon's rise happens, it's towards the end of this period. It's during the stuff we're talking about now. We are fairly close to end times territory at this point. Mm -hmm. Gray Seers visited every Skaven stronghold, giving an ultimatum. Be at the annual feast of Vermintide or suffer the wrath of the Great Horned Rat. They knew this pitiful civil war must end. If the dreams of world domination that had been gifted to and demanded by the Great Horned Rat were to be achieved. To this end, the Grey Seers had prepared a spell that would bring all of Skavendom to its knees, in service of one true ruler. 
Entire clans made their way to the ceremony, while other clans fearing a trap sent only emissaries. However, none dared to stay away and risk the threat of the Graciers. And for the second time in history, a member of each clan had gathered at the footsteps of the Temple of the Great Horned Rat. An atmosphere of fearful expectation could be tasted on the air surrounding this great assembly, as the doors of the temple ground open. From within marched the full order of 169 Graciers. Seer Lord Christikik was the last of 1313s to step out, carrying a skin-bound book which he set into an iron altar. As he began to speak, the very air seemed to twist and ominous cracks could be heard echoing in the distance. The Graciers took up his chant and amplified their Lord's voice, and they began to sacrifice. One by one, 169 slaves died in increasing agony, the last dying to the torments of the seer lord himself. Their squeals of pain reached out to the very bowels of creation, where the great horned rat gnawed at the very roots of reason. Then the great bell began to toll as lightning and thunder split the sky, the jagged bolts being the only thing which illuminated this dreadful scene. The bell's tolls soon drowned out all sounds, the chanting, the thunder. But as the thirteenth peal rang out, all fell silent. The great seer lord unleashed a screech from his distending jaw, and a massive black cloud burst from him, blotting out the sky with darkness. Then a titanic claw reached out from the void and ripped apart the fabric of reality, revealing the blacker-than-black skin and two blood-red eyes the size of castle gates of the great horned rat himself, who stared out into the massed bodies of his children each of which knew it was truly him, and as if a single being, they fell prostrate, muzzles pressed against the cold stone, even as some among them dropped dead from the fright. Once again his claw descended, again and again, scooping up scores of skaven which he threw into his open mouth. Only when he was finished feasting was his gift to his children revealed, for standing at the very center of the hordes was a massive pillar of the purest warpstone. It had thirteen sides, each marked with glowing runes. These contained the unholy commandments of ruination, the dictates of leadership, and the prophecies of the great ascendancy. So the reason there's 169 graciers is because if you multiply 13 by 13... That's what you get, 169. 169. Nice. So 13 is a very important number. Yeah, 13 is a very important number to the Skaven. It's the it's kind of like their holy number. Mm-hmm. So the thirteenth son of a of a litter of thirteen a gr- would potentially be be a gracier. The blessed one. Ah, okay. And graciers are just magic users. Any mm-hmm. any skaven who can cast magic, like any skaven who is a mage, is a gracier. That's mm-hmm. pretty much all that gracier means. He then whispered with a voice like a million scratching and gnawing rats. While their pitiful wars had amused him, it was time for them to cease. He demanded that the Skaven spread corruption and prepare the world for his return. The Council of Thirteen was to be reformed, and all that must obey their commands or feel his eternal wrath. Only his favored could touch the pillar, and that was how the Chosen Woods would be found to form the Council. With these final commands, the Great Horned Rat stepped back into the netherworld, the rip in reality ceiling, and silence once again falling over all. 
The musk of fear hung heavy over the silent horde of survivors as they stared at the pillar of warp stone in their midst, assuring themselves that they had survived the presence of their great and terrible god. The lords of Skaven Blight knew they must touch the pillar in order to secure their ascendancy to the council, and so Lord Raken stepped forward and reached out a paw. He burned with black fire until his corpse collapsed into ash, and but he was only the first. As the long night wore on, each lord and many chieftains stepped forward to repeat the ritual, Many did to survive contact with the unholy monolith. Multitudes of rat lords fell short in the eyes of their god and burned to ash before the eyes of the others. Only twelve lived, with each of these new lords of decay being imbued with an aura of great, dark, magical energy, a blessing bestowed by the great horned rat himself. Since that day, the council has remained unchanged, although many more have touched the pillar, most dying, some surviving. However, none of these survivors has had the skill to challenge or defeat those first chosen of the Great Horned Rat. So it was that that the world trembled as the Skaven were once more unified under the complete ruler of the Council of Thirteen. And that's where we'll wrap up part two of our coverage on the Skaven. That reminds me a lot of kind of like that ritual they do overnight with like the feudal lords before they can pilot the knights in you know yeah. the imperial yeah, knight like night world oh yeah you're either gonna die or you're gonna or get you're gonna a like, stupid amount of power trip <laughs> balls Winding. high as balls hooked up in your knight throne having ghost times with the other feudal lords it, it's just it it really reminds me of um What's that called? The ritual of becoming when you become yeah. a night pilot? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's the ritual. It's it's of becoming. I don't know if it's the ritual right of, bec of becoming. becoming. The right of becoming. The right, the right becoming. of becoming. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of that. I mean, just like seeing your god. Like they did a ritual and this massive rat <laughs> just appears. Right? Rips god. open reality to commune with you. Like it's not like visions of, of Sigmar. Or visions of the emperor, or anything like that. Like, no, not he's like there. legit. The it's rat like seeing the face of God, up. right? And it's like when starts... that like ADX salvia was legal at the gas station. You remember <laughs> oh, that? That was dope. I remember when that was a <laughs> and, thing. And you, and you could get like four cans of four loco, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I think we did. We bought both of those at the same trip. Oh just my do, God! Just do meth like an adult, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be to be completely honest though, I could only ever one and a half loco. I couldn't even two loco. I could I could never get to four. And Marky, seeing your your giant rat god is why most of them wear brown pants or that no pants sense. at all. <laughs> or no pants. Brown pants. I wore or my no brown pants. fur today. I wore my brown fur. Next episode, we will briefly talk about what the unified under empire looks like during what we will come to realize is the beginning of the end times before we jump into and break down the biology, physiology, culture, and clans of the Skaven. If you want to get in touch with us about the show or any of our episodes, reach out to us by email at under the hive of madness at gmail.com. You can also join our community on discord. There you can find topics on the lore, hobby, and tactics of Warhammer 40 K as well as other nerdy things such as the Warhammer Age of Sigmar, Magic the Gathering, role-playing games, video games, and much more. 
Myself, I can be found on TikTok, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube by searching Coral Pecan. More details about our shows can be found on Facebook, Instagram, or on our website under thehiveofmadness.com. Help the podcast grow by liking and reviewing us wherever you get your podcast fix. Those Spotify and Apple podcast reviews help us get more ears on our show and help us grow our content. You can also find us on Google, Audible, and many more. Check out our patrons. That's not it. Check out our partners, Improbable Wargaming, over on YouTube. They're, they stream live battle reports covering Horus Heresy, Kill Team, and 40K. As always, the spelling and links will be in the show notes down below. www.patreon.com slash under the hive of madness. All Patreon members get access to video podcasts with minimal editing so you can see our beautiful faces and hear all of our amazing blunders like the fact that none of us can fucking read. All Patreon levels also get access to our quarterly painting contest, plus we have higher perks at other levels, so go on over and check that out. For those of you who are part of Patreon who are wondering how the giveaways work, currently giveaways are only open to $6 and $9 patrons. We are currently discussing whether or not we are going to open it to all patrons and then $6 and $9 people will get their name in the wheel more often than not. But doing giveaways is very new for us. So um, we realize other channels do it differently. We other we realize other YouTube channels do it differently. We're just trying to figure it out, guys. Give us a little bit of time. We have gotten your feedback. We are looking into different things, but... That's that's the rules there. So if you haven't won yet and you haven't seen your name pop up yet, it's probably because you're not a six or a nine dollar sub on Patreon. But we will figure rebels. it out. Bear with us. It were rebels without a clue to, to read better. Also, something like that. Oh, uh, not yeah. Because like no, no, no. He 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 informed me that I suck at writing, and I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he was way he was way nicer about it than that but <laughs> i was like dude i'm a dyslexic rock like half the time man i don't i don't even know but uh yeah this is the part of the fun of what you guys get as patrons is hearing us blunder um the the official releases i clean up quite a bit i get rid of all of our what the fuck did i just say <laughs> <laughs> yep An update from Shiv Knifetail's masterful plan to take out the commander of the Knights of the White Wolf in Middenheim. It seems that his crack team of gutter runners have found the quickest way off an imperial roof. Dislodge those shingles and surf them to the ground, baby. Clan Goldtooth is currently taking bets at 10 to 1 odds that this will be Shiv's last mission. We are your merry band of underhive misfits infecting the squeakrencies with our very own brand of blasphemy. 665.66UHMR Radio Free Skaven Blight. Reminding all of you tunnel rats, city mice, and warp lickers to keep those cathodes dialed in right here to the truest of ratty frequencies. Up, up into man thing nest. Up to their streets and their cellars, up to their granaries and their stockyards, up to their homes and their temples. All, all belongs to Rictus. All, all belongs to Vectique. Fuck. No, I can't talk. <laughs> 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 <laughs>